from Car Rigs and Ingram, this is It Figures, the CRI podcast, an accounting, advisory, and industry-focused podcast for business and organization leaders, entrepreneurs, and anyone who is looking to go beyond the status quo. We want to welcome you today to the CRI at Figures podcast. My name is Robden Munbrin, and I'm a financial institutions partner uh, with CRI in our Nashville office. And I'm joined today by uh, Chris Kane. Uh, Chris, I'll let you introduce yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I'm Chris Kane. Uh, I'm a financial institution partner in CRI's Birmingham office. Uh, and I've been working with financial institutions over 20 years. And buddy, time flies when you're having fun. Isn't it? And that is the truth. And, and this is our specialty, financial institutions. And we thought today uh, what we would bring uh, during this podcast is to talk about hot topics in the, the risk management area. Uh, 2020 has definitely been a challenging year, both from a business standpoint for financial institutions and all businesses and personally as well. And uh, we thought it'd be a, a great time to talk about some of those hot topics that are that are before us now uh, related to risk management. Chris, I know you're seeing it with your clients for sure. We're talking to them all day. What are you what are you seeing? Yeah, thanks, Rob. Uh, absolutely. There's a lot of uncertainty right now um, because of the pandemic. Uh, you know, that's created uh, economic uncertainty. Uh, there's also uh, a level of political uncertainty. Um, regardless of your political party, there's a new president uh, with a new cabinet, uh, and that brings a level of change and uncertainty uh, to the landscape as well. So, uh, you know, that with uncertainty presents challenges. And, um, you know, one thing that we're seeing a lot of banks focused on right now because of that uncertainty is credit risk management and having uh, a robust credit risk management function. And I know, Rob, in talking with you uh, earlier that you've been seeing that with your clients as well. So um, what are you seeing on the credit risk management front uh, among your clients? Well, Chris, definitely, as you know, when you come into to uncertain times and, and where things are fluctuating and, and it isn't just a status quo that credit risk management becomes key. It is so important, as we all know, for financial institutions to focus on credit risk management in uncertain times. And in March 2020, everything changed. Uh, we, we obviously went through the national emergency with the pandemic and, and, and things started being in question about how we were going to deal with borrowers. How is it going to affect uh, the ability to repay from our borrowers? And so initially the question was, well, what do we need to do with deferring loan payments? Borrowers started asking questions. Uh, guidance was issued. Then the CARES Act was passed, passed at the end of March uh, 2020, which, which gave some guidance on how to handle troubled debt restructurings. And then quickly following that, uh, the, the uh, regulatory agencies put out some joint interagency guidance clarifying uh, some of their thoughts as it related to those topics specifically just sound, uh, just safety and soundness considerations in general. Also from an accounting and regulatory standpoint, things to be keeping in mind related to the CARES Act, related to troubled debt restructuring. We created this thing called Section 4013 loan uh, modifications, uh, generally talking about credit risk, talking about past due reporting uh, for any of these loans that were uh, received accommodations, 
not accrual status. So all the things you would expect to be talked about, uh, the regulatory agencies gave us some guidance on that. And then they followed that up uh, in August of 2020 with some additional information as some of these loans that received accommodations early on in the pandemic uh, started coming to the end of that accommodation period. And they gave some more guidance on prudent risk management practices that, that banks should be following and uh, how, to man how, to, how to identify, measure, and monitor credit risk, uh, looking at risk ratings, grading, accrual status, all that thing, all the things we know need to be done uh, during a, a, a time of uncertainty, just reiterating that, making sure we have appropriate uh, monitoring systems, reporting systems in place so we can gather information to make decisions from. And then also talking about consumer protection. That was another area that they hit on. Stressing again, accounting and regulatory guidance, but specifically this time talking more about the allowance for loan losses or the allowance for credit losses if you've adopted CECL uh, and, and how to make sure you're integrating that uh, into your decision-making process and your financial reporting. And I think that's been one of the challenges and one of the things I've been talking with my clients and other bankers about is, is as we've gone through this fluid process through the pandemic, of, of really figuring out where the problems are. We knew it seemed like the population was so large early on that we were dealing with. And now as we come later in the pandemic or during the time frame, uh, we, we can get more targeted in how we look at our borrowers, uh, which ones are truly having problems, which ones are, uh, can project out that, that things aren't gonna get better much quicker. Uh, and, and, and what are we looking at to, to, to determine that? Past due reports, overdraft reports, looking at risk rating changes. And then how do we take that information on those borrowers and then have that appropriately reflect in our allowance for loan losses through qualitative factors for uncertainties, through historical experience and maybe other times of uncertainty? How do we do that? And that's, that's been the challenge to be able to aggregate all this information that we have fine-tune it to come up to an appropriate uh, re reflection in our financial statements. Chris, I know you're going through the same thing and having the same discussion with your clients. What are you seeing in Birmingham? Yeah, absolutely, Rob. Thank you. Uh, you know, talking to a lot of banks right now, talking about credit risk management, and, you know, I'm a practical person and like to give uh, bankers and clients practical tips. So, you know, what are some of the things that we're seeing uh, in practice. So uh, first off, we're seeing a lot of analysis done on the loan portfolio, uh, looking at particular industries that have been impacted by COVID-19 by the pandemic. Uh, and what are some of those uh, industries or some of those segments? Clearly, uh, hotel motel loans uh, have been impacted uh, with less occupancy. Uh, we've seen uh, retail impacted. We've seen restaurants heavily impacted, as well as religious organizations uh, impacted uh, and others. So uh, what financial institutions, community banks are doing is they're looking at those industries. They're saying, hey, what, what are our largest credits or what, is our, what are our credits within those? Uh, and they're usually having a meeting among senior lenders and saying, what is our strategy for managing that? credit risk. And, and one thing they're doing is they're encouraging uh, loan officers uh, for those particular credits to uh, routinely reach out to bank customers and 
uh, borrowers and ask for interim financial information. And what we're telling our bank clients right now is interim financial information is definitely your friend. And talk to your borrowers about really setting the expectation that quarterly interim financial information is expected uh, and is really necessary for the bank to perform uh, a financial assessment uh, and really look at the accuracy of the risk rating for uh, that particular loan. And also, it really gives the bank some good information into the um, customer's business, and they might be able to use that uh, information to offer uh, additional products um, or services to that customer. So, you know, that, that's some of the things that we're seeing uh, in that space. Again, other things, um, reporting to the board, uh, risk rating migration. And I know if you go back to uh, 2008 and 2009, uh, during that economic downturn, we really encourage a lot of our clients to say, let's look at risk rating migration and let's look at the current quarter. What are our risk ratings among the loan portfolio? And how does that look compared to maybe the, the last two or three quarters? And then how does that look uh, from a year ago? And really analyzing that risk rating migration. Does it make sense from an overall standpoint, uh, given what management knows about the portfolio as well as discussing that with board members. Is it, you know, migrating to a place that causes concern or is it, you know, looking okay? So, you know, those are the things that bankers are really dealing with and really looking at is how to proactively manage credits uh, given the uncertainty. I want to mention to you there, that is one of the most important things is that what you just talked about is that proactive management of, um, of, of, credit risk during a time like this, a time of uncertainty. And, you know, I referenced earlier uh, the interagency guidance that was issued later in the year in August of 2020, and, and it talked about that proact being proactive in the, in the credit risk area. One of the things I thought it was interesting, we talked about this earlier, that it mentioned at the end were internal control systems, internal control systems around working with borrowers, helping him, helping him through these uh, uncertain times, mentioned things like quality assurance, credit risk review, operational risk management, compliance management, internal audit function. And, you know, we think about that in relation to, to these problem borrowers or the ones that are struggling. No, it's also, as we think about other risk management areas to focus on, uh, that that this internal control systems are are something we don't need to forget during this time either. So I thought it'd be a good opportunity for, for you to talk about some about other risk management things that we need to keep in uh, the top of our mind as we move forward. Yeah, absolutely, Rob. And uh, I think it's a good time for uh, banks to really revisit uh, entity-wide risk assessment. As I mentioned earlier, there's economic uncertainty, some level of political uncertainty, uh, and really, um, you know, challenging times. So really quantifying those risks by revising the entity-wide risk assessment and making sure that those are considered. Uh, you know, one thing that we're seeing among banks is uh, active communication. And sometimes that communication can be difficult uh, when you have a remote workforce. But really uh, discussing risk with 
board members, with senior management, and particularly with audit committee, and really setting some expectations about what does this look like uh, moving into the next year. And really, with regard to expectations, I like to tell banks is uh, you really need to say your risk assessment is a fluid document. And uh, the regulators say that often, but really need to look at uh, periodically updating that and really telling the audit committee, hey, you know, the risk management team is going to reassess uh, the, the bank's entity-wide risk assessment uh, at least uh, mid-year uh, next year uh, and can do that more frequently depending on changes in circumstances, changes in um, environment, and particularly changes with uh, the overall pandemic. Uh, also, other things to consider as part of that is uh, the bank's budget process. Uh, having discussions between risk management and uh, the CFO, the finance department, and talking about uh, how is COVID-19 impacting various revenue streams and expenses. Uh, and on the expense side, what we're seeing among our banks is uh, banks that may have had significant uh, IT projects or maybe delaying those a bit because of the economic uncertainty uh, and just reconsidering, hey, uh, do we really need to be spending um, right now, given that uncertainty. And then also uh, looking at revenue forecasts for certain revenue streams. Uh, one thing that has gotten a lot of uh, discussion uh, among bankers is NSF fee uh, revenue, and that's significantly lower in the current year because of the pandemic. Uh, and there are many reasons for that. Uh, one is uh, because so many bank customers are uh, staying at home, they're not swapping their debit card as much and they're not spending as much money. So they're not uh, having as many NSFs. And then secondly, is uh, we're seeing that people have more money because of these government stimulus programs. So because of that, um, they're also uh, not creating as many NSFs. So, uh, you know, revising the risk assessment, revising the budget, uh, and then once that process is done, I think an important step is to, to revise uh, the internal audit plan and clearly linkage between uh, the entity-wide risk assessment and uh, the internal audit plan is vital. And that's one thing the regulators say, and that's one thing that we really focus on uh, for the clients that we assist on the internal audit front is having direct linkage between the risk assessment and the internal audit plan. And here, some of the things that I wanted to mention are uh, coordination uh, between the various business owners within the bank and the internal audit plan, uh, making sure that plan is modified again based on the uncertainty, and then discussing that plan with the audit committee, uh, discussing that uh, with others in the organization, and really making sure uh, that the internal audit plan is up to date, uh, which may mean that risk management department makes changes throughout the upcoming year. I know that's one thing we're talking about is, hey, your internal audit plan may change. You may have multiple revisions. Keep track of those revisions and what that looks like and uh, make sure that your audit committee is uh, informed and uh, understanding the reason for those changes. So. Uh, Communication is key, obviously, as well as uh, coordination among various 
departments within the bank. So as part of that, uh, the ever-evolving Paycheck Protection Program or the PPP program and other government stimulus programs are um, been a challenge for uh, community bankers. And um, I had a community bank that said, hey, it's like uh, PPP is like uh, you're flying in an airplane and you're building an airplane as you're flying in it, Chris. So, uh, Rob, what are you seeing among your uh, bank clients in the PPP space and other government stimulus programs? And what are some of the things they're doing around the forgiveness process as well as uh, the necessity questionnaires that have been issued by uh, the SBA? Yeah, absolutely. That's a that's a great description of uh, of what it what it uh, has been like with the PPP program that's uh, administered by the SBA. And you know, it's interesting that the start of this um, financial institutions bank have been the lifeline to their customers, including small businesses. And uh, during the pandemic, and and obviously from the government stimulus standpoint, one of the most publicized. Uh, stimulus programs was the PPP Paycheck Protection Program uh, program, and and it has been a an ever evolving process, as you mentioned, for financial institutions, and and it's been a, a challenge to stay on top of uh, the information as it's come up, come out because it has been ever evolving, and now we're in that forgiveness stage. But as we look back uh, several months ago. Financial institutions were always at the forefront and in, in guiding their customers through the process. And from the from the giving general information of what the process looked like to helping through the application process, then giving advice on what forgiveness may look like. It was just uh, a lot of information was needed to be provided and it had to happen quick. So a lot of resources were allocated to it uh, to make sure the program worked fluidly as it could for uh, customers. And and now we get to this forgiveness stage uh, and have been in it for a few weeks um, in, in getting these PPP loans forgiven. And, and, and the bankers, the lenders are at the forefront of that. And and the, the, the key takeaway from the, uh, from this process for me is just the, the timeliness that's needed on the side of the lenders. And they're aware of that. And it's just another allocation of resources to make sure things get done so that these loans are forgiven. You know, there's there's three applications that can be filed depending on certain circumstances. So with the lenders keeping current on this is so important. And then also just a few weeks ago, we finally received these necessity questionnaires that are required to be filled out for uh, borrowers that have received generally two, over $2 million in PPP funds. Uh, that that the banks are helping facilitate that as as well through the SBA platform, uh, and and that's occurring uh, by bank being aware, uh, being informed that that uh, that the questionnaire needs to be completed, letting the borrower know that, getting the information back from the borrower, uploading that to the SBA. So it's just a continual process of of, of information flow back and forth, and and because of that. Keeping on top of the timelines is so important. And two, making sure that the allocation of resources of bank staff is appropriate as well. And in many cases, I know with my clients, it were it was employees that were pulled from other areas to, to help head the PPP uh, function within the institution. And so because of that, it's important now 
from a risk management standpoint to not only ensure that the PPP program is flowing properly, but also that those those functions that those individuals were working with before haven't been neglected and that uh, they're also being uh, addressed as well and not forgotten about because that's hard to do when you're when you're under the gun. And so just important to keep up with information as it as it comes out, because it, it still evolves, it's still evolving and, and, and staying on top of that information is so important with all this government stimulus between the PPP, between these liquidity facilities that regulators have put in place, and then just other government stimulus. We've seen bank balance sheets blow up during 2020. They've grown uh, large and sometimes with unintended consequences. And Chris, I know the FDIC issued some information and guidance on, on things banks should be thinking about related to that. I thought I'd let you talk about that for a few minutes. Yeah, absolutely, Rob. So, uh, you know, it's really refreshing to see that community banks have been part of the solution uh, during this pandemic and been a really served a vital function uh, within uh, the overall economy within the U.S. and really um, has shown the real need for community banks uh, in the marketplace. And I, I think that's fantastic. And because these community banks have been uh, really um originating a lot of the PPP loans, uh, it was good to see that the regulators issued some uh, regulatory relief for financial institutions, uh, particularly related to FDISHA Part 363. Uh, and really, the financial institution letter, this interim final rule, allows community banking organizations, these organizations, to determine uh, the applicability of certain asset-based regulatory thresholds uh, using asset data as of December the 31st, 2019, if the organization's assets as of that date were less than its assets on the date as of which the applicability of a threshold would, would normally be determined. So, so what does that mean? So uh, basically what that means is that asset growth in 2020 or uh, 2021 will not trigger new regulatory requirements for these community banks uh, until uh, January the 1st, 2022. At the earliest, uh, there is an exception if there's some kind of merger or acquisition. So uh, the thresholds to think about in the Part 363 guidance or uh, the $500 million asset threshold, as well as the billion dollar threshold, and um, you know, give some relief there because of the government stimulus programs. We've seen a lot of banks' uh, balance sheets increase dramatically. And if that's the cause of that, uh, then the banks get some relief from Part 363. And then you know, one thing I wanted to mention uh, also is that uh, there's been renewed discussion around these asset thresholds, um, the $500 million and the $1 billion asset thresholds as part of 363 have been in place for, I think, about 15 years or so. Uh, and there's been significant discussion over the last few years among bankers, among various banking associations, um, as well about should those asset levels be increased because they've been in place uh, for such a long time? And I, I know we have a number of bankers that are hoping that those thresholds get 
increased uh, even after this temporary guidance. So I think, Rob, that's something for us and for our clients to look for is uh, potential additional guidance around 363 and those thresholds. So, you know, before the pandemic, we're really seeing organic growth in community banks outside um, of the pandemic, clearly before that, and had had discussions with banks about how they might get ready for 363 and some key elements within that or uh, developing a robust uh, action plan, meeting with the banks, uh, external auditors early in the process to talk about those plans, look at potential entity level controls as well as activity level controls uh, and what the plan might look like for that financial institution. Uh, and I know that's one space that we at CRI have really helped a number of financial institutions during the past few years is implement FIDISHA Part 363 uh, at the billion dollar threshold and something that we really excel at and have helped a number of clients. So. I wanted to mention to bankers if they're uh, facing that asset threshold, and it's really a, a two-year process, in my opinion, to to get prepared for, to have plenty of time to anticipate uh, various ineffective controls and challenges. So uh, I would encourage bankers to reach out to us at CRI if they have questions, uh, you know, around that space, or if they have any questions about you know, the financial institution space. It would be our pleasure to talk to them. Uh, and there's a wealth of information on our website at uh, CRICPA.com and uh, look under financial institutions as well as uh, sign up to follow future podcasts. So Rob, I think this is some really good information for community banks and um, really served a huge need in uh, the U.S. as part of this pandemic. And, uh, you know, i have done this, as I mentioned earlier, for over 20 years, and it's really a pleasure to serve community banks and something I really enjoy. So uh, hopefully our clients and uh, others will find this information valuable and really enjoy doing this podcast with you. Absolutely, Chris. And we thank you for being here today and, and, and sharing this information with us. Yeah, absolutely, Rob. Um, hopefully community bankers will find this information valuable and uh, we'll really help them in their day-to-day -day functions. So thanks everyone for joining us and have a great day. If you want more CRI insights or are interested in learning about our firm, please visit our website at CRICPA.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of It Figures, the CRI podcast. You can subscribe to It Figures on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen to your podcasts. If you liked what you heard today, please leave us a review.